0: Amen. Man, I am so glad that you are here today. You know, it's no accident that you are here, that God brought you here, that He woke you up this morning, and that you're in this place. You know, um, next Sunday morning we're going to have a baptismal service. And um, it's a a, a beautiful thing, so if you uh, want to be baptized and and you're at that point, then contact me and we'll get you uh, put in there. And and I know that it's going to be a blessing to all of us to see those who are baptized. Um, Y'all ready to hear some truth? We need truth in our lives, don't we? You know, I want to encourage you today. You know, it seems like many of us have been merely existing, Uh, kind of like each day we're waiting uh, for what seems to be more bad news, and we're so weary of this viral pandemic that's gone on for far too long. You know, you realize that there are some things that are worse than a virus. So I ask the question: When, God? When will it end? You know, from wearing face masks and social distancing and, you know, breaching norms of human touch, from remote learning schools and businesses shut down to anger and violence and rioting in the streets. When, God, will it all end? This doesn't seem much like the land of the free and the home of the brave. We may not sense that we can do much about most of this. But what we can prevent, what is preventable, is having an attitude of bitterness and regret as we continue to press on. See, God the Almighty reigns from His throne. He is still on His throne, even in spite of all of the above. You know, A.J. Gossip the great Scottish preacher, he delivered a sermon one time entitled, When Life Tumbles In, What Then? And the sermon had good content and it had good structure, but the sermon's notoriety and the reason it became famous was from the situation from when and where it was delivered. You see, Gossip's wife had died and she had been buried. And many church members wondered if he would preach the next Sunday. And he did, and he delivered that now famous message. When life tumbles in, what then? You know, this morning we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 through 22. If you have your scripture and want to open up to it? Um, you know, let me just recap a little bit of where we are in the life of Naomi. Um, you remember Elimelech, Naomi's husband, and her and their two sons moved to Moab. There was a famine in the land of Judah, and, and they moved to Moab, and their sons married two Moabite women, and, and they settled there, and they lived in the land 10 years. At some point in this journey, Elimelech, the husband, died. Then the two sons, Mahlon and Kileon. Both died. And in this time, this famine that that had driven them basically from uh, Judea, away from God, into a pagan land, a a place where they worshipped idols and not the one true God. Well, Naomi decides, she makes a decision to go back to Judah, to go back to God and the promised land, if you will. And she encourages her two daughter-in-laws to go back and return to their people. And Orpah does that, and we never hear from her ever again. She just slips off the pages of Scripture. But Ruth makes a commitment to Naomi, and she says, I will go where you go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. And where you die, I will be buried there too. She makes this huge commitment to Naomi. And so the two of them began to travel back to Jerusalem, excuse me, to Bethlehem from Moab. And that's where we pick up our scripture this morning verse 19 of chapter one. It says, so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned with her... And with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love letter to us. I thank you that we can get to know you better through your word. Father, I pray that today that you would be glorified that we would lift up your son, Jesus Christ, and that your Holy Spirit would draw us to you. Speak to our hearts. Convict us of the truth in our lives. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I would submit to you this morning that life tumbled in (laughs) for Naomi. Life tumbled in. She had returned from Moab to Bethlehem. The city was full of the news of her return. She had left Bethlehem full, but she returned empty. This is huge because, you know, you think about our lives and you think about where we are and what's going on. She had experienced some of the bitterness of life. She she had experienced this bitterness. And, you know, I heard someone say once that life in this world ain't worth much. It begins with a slap on the bottom and ends with a shovel full of dirt in your face and there ain't much in between except bumps and bruises. I mean, certainly Naomi would agree with that. Life had tumbled in around her. And what we need to understand is sooner or later, life will tumble in around every one of us. Things may be going great now, but sooner or later, life will tumble in on all of us. See, to prepare for that kind of crisis, we need to listen to and, and, and look at Naomi. See, normally the trip going from Moab to Bethlehem would be about 50 miles. And it would take about 7 to 10 days walking, the road descending about 4,500 uh, uh, feet Uh, excuse me, uh, from the the high plains of of Moab, it would go downhill down to the the Jordan Valley. And then coming up on the other side, you'd go through the foothills of Judea, another 3,750 feet to get to Bethlehem. And so what you have is you have this up and down journey. And, and, And I'm sure that Naomi and Ruth would have looked very weary and worn just from the journey. Now think about this. These were also in the days of the judges, where every person did what they felt was right in their own eyes. So these roads were not very safe for men, much less women. But once again, we see the sovereignty of God in their lives and we sense the protecting hand of God watching over these ladies as, they, as he assured their journey to their home, to where they were going. God was watching them and protecting them and guiding them. They made it safely back to Bethlehem. You know, in verse 19, it says that the the whole city was stirred because of them. That word stirred in Hebrew, it it paints a vivid portrait of a a city in commotion. And I want to say it's a small town. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. But it's a small town, and, and, and everybody kind of knows everybody else, you know. And and, and and today we might say they were all shook up, and, and the people were in a very surprised state, even in dismay over Naomi's condition and situation that they probably could not fully comprehend. She left full, but she comes back empty. She left full, but she came back empty. Although all of the city was in a commotion, it was probably chiefly the ladies who were the most excited about Naomi's return. See, Naomi must have been well-known in that town. She must have been well-known, otherwise no one would probably have even noticed her. She had been gone for 10 years, and they came out to greet her. But what they saw, they couldn't believe their eyes. See, Naomi's character in better days, had credibility with the people. And so they were glad to see her, though, her, although they wondered at her poverty. Man, her and Elimelech seemed to be doing so good when they left 10 years ago with the boys and they were promising and, and what happened? It was almost unrecognizable. These, this tremendous grief and suffering had no doubt changed and aged her appearance. Because even those former friends and acquaintances, they said, "Is that Naomi? Is that Naomi?" Kind of looks like her, but I'm not sure that's Naomi. Is that Naomi?" But folks, we, we are not exempt from these kind of reversals. We are not exempt from these kind of changes in our life. Where we go through hard times, where we go through suffering, where we go through, you know, hardships. You know, I have, I have several rose bushes in my yard at my house. And a rose that has been rain-drenched and battered and bruised by harsh winds and then withered from the scorching sun into brittle dryness looks quite different. From when it first emerges, starting to bloom, full of beauty and fragrant and full of potential. Folks, that's what a picture. That is a picture of Naomi's life. She left ready to bloom, ready to, uh, to just full of all the potential and everything else. And she came back dried and withered and, 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 and brittle from suffering, from grief so much that her close friends didn't even recognize her after 10 years of sorrow and hardship. See, I want to encourage you this morning to resolve to allow the bitterness of this life to make you better, to make you better. Verse 20, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. You see, her name, Naomi, means pleasant. It means my joy, my delight, my bliss, my pleasantness, the lovable, agreeable, or sweetie, or something like that. Don't call me that. Returning to Bethlehem, she sharply corrects her old friends for calling her pleasant. And she says, just call me bitter. Claiming that Shaddai. El Shaddai had treated her bitterly. You know, many times the Hebrews, they expressed tragic or um, unpleasant experiences in terms of the sense of taste of bitterness. We do that sometimes in the English language as well. You know, figures of speech, uh, it was a galling experience or his actions were not in very good taste. We might say something like that. But life had handed Naomi... Some bitter blows. Loss of her home, loss of her husband, loss of a son, not just one, but two, and poverty. On top of all that, poverty had set in. But notice that although life had treated her bitterly, she was not bitter. We have a little snapshot here, but Naomi has to be evaluated over the course of the entire book. Right here, she is returning back to the land of Judah. She comes back to Bethlehem. Evidently, she acknowledged the reality of bad circumstances, but she refused to become bitter. This is huge. This is huge. I mean, I ask the question, what is bitterness? Bitterness. It's a state of the heart where there is no joy. It's a state of the heart without joy. It is a deep harbored hurt that poisons the soul. It takes root in your heart and it spreads to other areas of your life. Its cause is usually rooted in something that happened to us. Something that happened to us that we don't think was fair that we didn't deserve, that something happened to us that was not fair, that life was not fair to us. But I submit to you this morning, life here on earth will never be fair. We live in a sin-cursed world, and until the Lord comes to redeem this earth, life will not be fair. I mean, most of us feel at times, you know, that we've been dealt a poor hand in life. Oh man, I wish I had what they had. Why is this happening to me? Or maybe that we've been kicked in the teeth or that we've had to endure more than anyone else. And sometimes we feel like we've been mistreated. Why has all this happened to me? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? And some folks always seem to, to land on their feet, but not me. I always get the short end of the stick. Ever feel that way? Ever feel like you just don't get a fair shake? I can't win for losing. I always get the short end of the stick. But please understand this. Nothing, nothing comes our way without God's permission. Nothing comes our way without God's permission. I don't care who's in the White House. I don't care what kind of disease is being spread. Nothing comes into our life without God's permission. He is the authority. But understand that bitterness never makes anyone better. I mean, bitterness leads to the irritability in your relationships. You can't get along with others. You don't want to get along with others. They can't get along with you. You twist off on someone for nothing. You're negative when you you have this negative spirit about you, this cloud hanging over you for reasons that no one knows. You're ticked off. And you always stay in a fighting mood. You're ready to fight at the drop of a hat and you're defensive, you're critical of others, you look for the bad in others instead of the good, and you look for reasons to be upset and angry with others. That's what bitterness does. See, I believe with my whole heart that marriage is a great plan of intelligent design. Sometimes it may seem like holy sandpaper Rubbing against, whittling you down. Reminds me of this elderly couple. They've been married 50 years and they fought and they argued almost every day of their marriage. You know, there are some people that shouldn't get married. But after their 50th anniversary celebration, they, the guests left and, and um, the wife turned to her husband and said, you know, we've lived together for 50 years, but let's be honest. It hasn't been all that great. It's kind of been miserable. We fought almost every day. And she said, you know, I think it's finally time to change. I've been praying that things would change. And I've been praying that the Lord would take one of us home. And when he answers my prayer, I'm going to go and live with my sister in Wichita Falls. That's what bitterness will do. So when life tumbles in, the resolution needs to be made. With God's help, I do not need to get bitter. I mean, you may be experiencing a difficult trial like Naomi. But keep in mind that God uses strong trials to build strong faith. God uses strong trials to build strong faith. He wants to put that, that, that metal in our in our core. He wants, to, he wants to build us so that we can endure something and not just be tossed around by every wind of doctrine, but he wants to, to build strong faith in us. And in order to do that, sometimes they are hot, scorching winds. Sometimes it is a drought. Sometimes it is a famine. But you know what? God is the one building the faith within us. It is these strong trials that he uses to build strong faith. But here's the big if. If we are teachable. If we are teachable, he will build strong faith in us through those trials. Because sometimes we don't learn. Sometimes we're not teachable. Sometimes we don't get it. And we keep going through this same thing over and over. Brothers and sisters, we need to remain teachable. It's not what you go through, it's how you go through it. I mean, ask God, how do you want me to respond to this trial in my life? We must remain teachable. So in in times of strong trials, I say this. First, leave the explanation of the misfortunes to God. When things happen that you have no explanation about, you don't have to explain that away. God is the one who, who, who let it happen. He is the one who permitted it in your life. I mean, Notice that, that Naomi used for God, she used the name Almighty. And I think this is, this is big stuff because this name was Naomi's testimony. The name Almighty, El Shaddai has a couple of different uses here. In Genesis 17, God promised the 99-year-old Abraham and he revealed himself as God Almighty, Almighty God. Genesis 43, Jacob pronounced a blessing over his sons. As they would go and confront and be in front of Joseph, that, that, that may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And even in Genesis 49, where Jacob speaks about Joseph's success in Egypt and he attributes it to God Almighty, the Almighty. See, the word Almighty really, a definition here, means the hope of God's protection in a time of uncertainty. The hope of God's protection in a time of uncertainty Man, I need to cry out to the Almighty. Our church needs to cry out to the Almighty. Our nation needs to cry out to the Almighty so that we have this hope of God's protection in a time of uncertainty. See, when Naomi referred to God as Almighty, she's saying, I can leave the explanation, even the responsibility for the bitterness. With him, faith requires us that we, that we trust God for the reasons and responsibilities of life's misfortunes because he is almighty. Secondly, I would say look constantly for God's provisions. See, Naomi returned from Moab and she met many former acquaintances from Bethlehem and they, they recognized her plight they heard Naomi speak of her misfortunes. You know, to be standing in the crowd that day, as she was recounting what happened to her, why she left full and came back empty, I'll bet in that crowd there was a spirit of pessimism. Well, my husband died. My sons died. This poverty, I, I, I have no way to work. I have no way to feed But thank God, we see a glimmer of hope at the end of verse 22 when Scripture tells us, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You see the glimmer of hope? There's something going on there. See, when life tumbles in, we cannot have a negative spirit, a spirit of negativism. Oh, we want to, we want to be pessimistic, but look for God's supply, look for his provision. See, instead we need to, we need to look at his supply, rather that God's supply, rather than the negative. Rather than focusing on the negative, look what God is doing, see where he is at work. Ruth and Naomi came to Bethlehem and God would provide for them by Ruth's gleaning in a barley field. They had, no we, they had no means, they had no money, they had no, nothing to eat, and he was gonna provide for them through her gleaning. Let me park here for just a second, I'm almost done. The outcome wasn't all on God. Yes, he's providing, he's taking care of things. But it wasn't all on Ruth and Naomi either. See, I like to view it this way. We have to pray as hard as we can. We have to work as hard as we can. It's not all on God to take care of us, and it's not all on us to take care of us. We pray as hard as we can, and we work as hard as we can. Somewhere in the middle, God meets us, and he takes care of our needs. See, it was in the city of Bethlehem that Naomi would find (laughs) the best the best of God's provisions. It was there that she could be fed. And it's the same way for us. And you need to hear this. God's best blessings are reserved for those who who stay close to where he's at work. Think about this. She had been in a pagan land, a foreign land. She came back to Bethlehem where God was at work, providing for his people. I think that's huge because I want to stay under the spout where his glory pours out. In that, you're going to be provided for. But if you get off in that foreign land, if the further you get away from the spigot, the less likely you're going to be under those blessings. And that's what we see here. God's best blessings are reserved for those who will stay close to where he is working. See, as Naomi's life shows us, sometimes the worst thing that happens to us can open a door for the best thing that God wants to give to us. When life tumbles in, recognize that God is with you. That God is with you. He cares for you, and he works with you to give you what you need, not necessarily what you want, but he gives you what you need. And understand this, that God will do whatever must be done to correct his erring child and to turn their hearts back to him. I mean, I could understand taking some yucky, bitter medicine if it would heal me, if it would help me to be, become well, but who would do that if it doesn't help? I could even understand manual labor, you know, putting in some elbow grease, working hard at something if you're promised pay. But why would you do it with no benefit? Listen, there are some people who don't love God. And you know what? Their lives are not all honey and pie. For those who are here today, I assure you, their lives are not all music and dancing. Those who do not love God, those who do not know Jesus Christ. Oh, you have your fair share of trouble and you probably have your thorns in the flesh and maybe even more than your fair share. But hear this, without Christ, you don't even have a savior. You don't have a deliverer to run to. You're like a ship out there in the storm, being tossed around, and there's no harbor for safety. You're like a bird that is being driven by the wind, forced by the wind, and there's no nest for that bird to sit and rest in and to shelter in. And this will go on. Your life out there in the storm, in the midst of the sea, being tossed about, being driven by the wind, it will go on and on and on until you face God's wrath. No rest, no shelter, no peace. Listen to me. Think about what you're going through right now. Think about where you are, where you could go, whose you are. And only then will you cry out, I want God. To be my friend. I want God to be my friend. I mean, where does this message find you today? Has sin and worldly living stripped you of everything that the Lord has done in your life? Do you need a fresh start today? Because maybe, maybe the barley harvest is just beginning in your life. Like Naomi, you want to return home to where God is. Like the prodigal son who wandered, his prodigal daughter wandering. will you return home to God? The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. See, Jesus Christ died for you. He died for you, and if you will respond to him today, he will save you by his grace. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Ruth, And Naomi, Father, we do need a Savior. We need a deliverer. We need one that we can run to in times of uncertainty. Father, we need someone when life tumbles in that we can go to. Father, we know that you are a good God, a great God. You gave your one and only Son so, so that we might have a relationship with you. We did all the sinning. He paid all the price. But Father, all we have to do is accept him. Invite him to come in. And Father, we have peace of God and we have peace with God. Father, I pray that you would make that so in each one of our lives. Father, as we look at things that are going on around us, Father, that we wouldn't be thrown off by that. Father, when we see things happening, that we would know that you are still on your throne, that you are still providing, that, that you are give us the hope of protection, Father, in, a, in times of uncertainty. But God, that you would be our source, that you would be our stay. Father, that we would run to you. And God, that you would take care of your people. Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord Jesus, be glorified in this time that remains. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.